Hello. Do you want to get started? Let's let's keep going with this. Right. Um, we'll just pretend we've very started. good energy that we have and always do have. Uh, welcome everyone to the Ribbon Book Club, Dear America podcast. My name is Jen. My name is Kate, and we are so good at this we're starting a new book today and i'm excited um i feel like the dear america series is kind of on a roll right now with yeah. me oh okay uh, say more um well the newest book is called so far from home the diary of mary driscoll an irish mill girl lowell massachusetts 1847 but it does start in and this is my favorite word of all time now, Skibbereen. Skibbereen. Which is a real place. I had to look it up. Mm-hmm. It's cute. Also, it's like a little market town. County Cork. Um, I want to back up uh, a minute because this this story takes place the same year as our friend Hattie is traveling across to Oregon, 1847. So we are still in the same year. I think that's fun. I, I, I agree like, that's fun. Yeah, so I did these, not catch that at all. Well... That's why I'm here. Um, and this book was written. This book was written by Barry Denenberg, who wrote. <clears throat> yep. Interesting. 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 Hey, we're we're coming in with an open mind. Um, so this is this is Barry Denenberg's second book. Uh, we are reacting the way we are because he his first book in the series was When Will This Cruel War Be Over, which notably was not our favorite. We hated that book. <laughs> we have very strong feelings about that book. Okay, so can I tell you the number one thing that bothered me about that book besides its obvious horrid... You yeah. know what? There was a lot of things, but the first thing that set my teeth on edge yeah. was the fake, like highly stylized language that they were using like they don't sound like real people Mm -hmm. and i think this book suffers the same problem ah okay yeah i i had noticed that as well um but there is a kind of trope amongst writers which i am not a writer but i talk a lot about writing Mm. and they have this trope where you can either write action and you can tell people what's happening in the story or you can write dialogue but you cannot do both Mm -hmm. and i think senior denenberg might have that exact problem i think he's good at describing not so good at um dialogue Yeah, yeah i agree um i think i'm willing to give him a second chance because I, I know i know there's more coming from him there's a lot of more coming from him and I'm willing to give Barry Denenberg a second chance because I know there are more books in the, later in the series that he wrote that I am a, I remember being a big fan of. You at specifically the time. liked his Royal Diaries entries. No, well, I can't think of one that he wrote for the Royal Diaries. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of a World War II one that I really liked. It was one of my favorite ones, notably depressing. Uh, but that's this book. Series I keep in waiting general. for these books to lighten up, and they're just never gonna. Do you understand why it's a common thing that I've found with other fans of this book that we had to switch to the Royal Diaries every once in a while when we were like, okay, this is it's been a lot of poverty. <laughs> I'm gonna need a little sip of I need, joy. I need a little bit of uh, a a book where it's not so relatable. <laughs> Yes. Not that not that I, my life is in any way relatable to Mary Driscoll's, but like just where, you know, money isn't the main um, problem. Yeah. <laughs> no, I understand. And like, I actually think that's a, a really good perspective, especially for kids to get mm-hmm. like 
When you're young, you kind of always assume your family was royalty or something like that, that you were a displaced princess, what have you. And I think it's an important lesson to learn uh, as you develop class consciousness that the majority of the world, including your family, were peasants. Yeah. I thought my family was poor because my mom wouldn't let me shop at American Eagle. (laughs) Anyway, uh... (laughs) Yeah, before we talk about my depressing childhood, let's move on. <laughs> so, yeah, we are we are beginning in the charmingly named Skibbereen. Skibbereen! Skibbereen! Which I actually found out my family might have left from Skibbereen. Really? When did they leave? Uh, I don't know yet. I'm working okay. on that. Uh, my uncle's going to put together the documents for me. He has it all. Mm. Um, I specifically wanted to know about my family that left from Ireland, which was my grandmother's grandmother. Um, She was a Desmond. And as you know, we have a friend whose last name is Desmond, who is from Ireland. Mm -hmm. Um, Ellen, if you're listening, we love you. Um, You just outed her whole Christian name. I think she's fine with that. Wow. Knowing her. Okay. Also, uh, if you guys have the opportunity to look up the book printers, Monstrous Regiment, you should definitely do that. Their book, Duck Feet, is lovely. It is. Um, Yeah, so... You you're descended from, from people the Irish. who were from the kingdom of Desmond. Oh, it's um, a kingdom. There's a there was in like the year ten. No, oh, okay. Um, I don't know much about it, but apparently everybody with the last name Desmond is related, and they all live in like a certain county, but I'm not sure which one. Okay. However, it is possible that my part of the family that left for America, Desmond's, because mm-hmm. um, me and Ellen might be cousins. I'm working on that. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so my family left from possibly the area of Cork. That okay. They were like in that area in and County they got Cork. on the boat in Cork. Gotcha. Yeah. I am, kind as of far exciting. as I know, not Irish. Um, you guys so. are mostly Dutch, right? Uh, I am full 50% Dutch, 25% Belgian, 25% Polish. Cool. I just got my, not ancestry, but I'm part of a medical study at the hospital and Mm. by letting me be in this medical study they're also like and we'll tell you what your family ancestry is Mm -hmm. and whether or not you have wet earwax what Uh, yeah so oh uh, actually i did i have i do know about this something about your earwax tells you you're the consistency of your earwax yep and also whether or not you will find cilantro taste like soap and if you'll find coffee ext- extremely bitter, if you find bitter flavors very notable. Okay, so is that you? Yeah. <laughs> notable, uh, not aficionado of coffee? Yeah, super duper hate coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, it's too bitter. It tastes awful. So I don't know why the rest of you put up with it. There is hot cocoa. Tastes almost the same, except for not like trash. But it doesn't wake me up like the good bean juice does. <laughs> so anyways... Um, that's kind of exciting. All the Irish connection is fun. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited to learn more about that part of my family. Um, mm-hmm. So we start this book kind of in media res. Like mm-hmm. we jump right into. I think, okay, just speaking of what your opinions about uh, Barry Denenberg and his use of language. It is the first three sentences and they're terrible. Tis true. Yep. The first word, tis. <laughs> yep. Especially, I find, okay, so like in the next couple paragraphs, we learn that her aunt is an English teacher who is teaching her English and she's still using 
brogue styling like that in her own written account of her life oh, no yeah you i don't... call shenanigans I don't, nobody writes the word tis they say it is true well yeah i wonder yeah i mean it just doesn't it seems glaringly unrealistic i'm assuming if she's Clangs. learning english she probably grew up speaking irish so this book starts in 1847 yeah and according oh, have... to my research okay um, the Irish school system outlawed uh, Irish Gaelic. Uh-huh. Gaelic, not Gaelic. Gaelic mm-hmm. is, from what I understand, Scots language is Gaelic. The other way Am I backwards? I'm fine I think with you that. Have it backwards. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not an aficionado, but it's important to realize that they're not the same. They are not the same. They're not the same. It sounds like it's the same word, but surprise, it is not. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, so the Irish school system. Established in 1831, outlawed Irish language. Mm-hmm. 1831, okay. 1831. So I don't think, given yep. those parameters, that mm-hmm. she would have been a native Irish speaker. Um, her parents probably were. Mm-hmm. All good questions. Yeah. Um, the, I Always in the back of my mind, as we're talking about this section, is going to be Hosier's <laughs> music about... Uh, Ireland and shouldn't the Hosier also always be in the back, in the back of your back mind? mind? Like, just build him a little room back there mm. and let him play. I don't think he has enough room. He's a tall, lanky so man. Tall. I'll find space for him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have some very kind of uh, leprechaun Irish, you might say. Uh, I don't know. It is true. I, I will be going. I read this whole thing kind of like in the worst Irish accent that I could. I'm actually super glad you told me it was Denenberg because I was going to be mad at somebody else who wrote this because I didn't bother to look. And now I can just keep all my anger in one place. Okay. So it's yeah. true. I'll be going to They're America. They're after me lucky charms. We have to get past the first three sentences. Yes. So Aunt Nora, um, uh, English teacher, is an English teacher. And she actually already lives in America. Yes. And she has been writing to the family. Uh, which is Ma, Da, and, well, and her sister Kate also lives in America. Right. But moved more recently. Moved more recently. Um, And... You might say that Aunt Nora was kind of the anchor baby. Brought the rest of the family over. Yeah, so we'll get to my opinions on Aunt Nora. Um, So Nora has been kind of like the number one, like, you gotta go. You gotta go to America. It's like the greatest place, guys. It's got everything. Don't you sort of wish that you could be like, wait, no, don't come here. Guys, yeah. it gets so bad. This is what this is the crux of my yeah. Beef. This is your this Aunt Nora is the beef. Crux of it. Yeah. So I she, mean, in fairness, in 1847, it probably wasn't that bad of a place internationally. We'll see. Okay. Um, so it it's kind of confusing the timeline of when this happens mm-hmm. because she's like, oh yeah, we were visiting Aunt Nora and when I first learned about America, and we find out that that was years ago when I was yes. eight. Um, but and, also somehow Aunt Nora left. Well, yeah. But we're still talking to her through letters. I know. Yeah. But it yeah, just yeah. seemed real clunky. It is. It is a little confusing. So, um, yeah. So she. And like they have to be nice to me because I had a stroke. Okay. <laughs> As do you. So she, it, she's she's starting like, oh, I'm going to America. And then she immediately goes back in time to talk about when Aunt Nora told her about America. And then she, and, and she's like, come sit by me. And uh, she calls her quiet one because Kate <sighs> is the older sister. 
there's never been very, a quiet Kate in the world. Ever. I've related to this a lot because I was the, the quiet sister, the quiet younger sister of my family. Hmm. So I was like, mm. I can't make the same claim. I'm not anymore. Um, oh, I know you and Mer- you you and your sister. I have a podcast par. now. So, um, do, 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 do. yeah. She, well, okay. So she she has this flashback where Aunt Nora says, "Come sit by me," and and they're they're sitting by the sea, and she's like, "You know, do you know where America is?" And you know, I look out at the horizon. Um, what do what do you see? Only sea and sky. And then she's like, "Oh well, beyond past past all of that, there lies America." Um, and and then she, and then she says, "Tis a sacred place where everyone dresses in red, the color of magic, and the roads are paved with gold." Um, I hated that paragraph. This is this is where it comes from. So. It's one thing when you're when you've never set foot in America to be like, oh yeah, America. That's where everyone goes. That's where all the success. I mean, that was a fairly common, you know, right. refrain Myth. in in Europe, and so I can forgive Aunt Nora having never set foot in America for being a little naive and idealistic about and there are legitimately stories about people going from the gutter to the top of society in Mm -hmm. America within their life so thinking that it's paved with gold knowing that that's a metaphor is not too far of a reach I'm forgetting the exact timeline of it but somewhere around here there's the Homestead Act in which um I think it's a little later than this, but um, the U.S. was actively advertising to like Germans to come settle the West, and, and at that point in time, the West was Michigan. Well, and and the Dakotas, yep. Um, and and they were given free tracts of land, and some of them became very wealthy and successful. Very true. So you know, I could see in that case, yeah. So, have you ever seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Yes. She's got huge tracts of land. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry. It just had to come out. Yeah, I could tell you were. You're... I was really trying to hold it together like a you lady. You were buzzing. Um, yeah. So she's like, yeah, this is this is great. Everyone dresses in red. I hadn't heard that one. Yeah. What is mm-hmm. that? It feels very Tiernanog. feels very, um, oh, yes. The Mystic Knights. Uh. Well, I was, yeah, it's just, yeah. Like a, a fun little throwback, or were you thinking of Titanic? <laughs> I was thinking of Titanic. Yep, I'm always thinking of Titanic, and Lord knows Titanic is always thinking of you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I told Ma as soon as we returned uh, to Aunt Nora's cottage. So excited I w- was I by the news. Ma smiled and put her arms around me. Sorry, that was I business. <laughs> it's just so clanky. Yes, I know. Um, she smelled of spice and honey. Your aunt is as sweet as a whistle, but there are times when her speech is more crooked than a ram's horn. Nobody talks like this. Pay it no mind. You don't know that. You don't know. My family's Irish. Yes, I do. Wow. Wow. Way to... <laughs> I'll throw jeans and do Way it. to be American about that. Um, Actually, you know, it's fun. Ireland is trying to bring people back because their population is so depressed still from... Go. The potato famine. Yeah. Uh, that if you have ancestry in Ireland in the last three to four generations, you can get a double visa or a double passport. Hmm. I know. Fun. 
Um, yeah, so then we kind of pop back forward into the current time. Which and, was very, like, again, it was just very clunky writing. I did not, I, I had to go back and read it like three times. I'm like, where are we? Who's yeah. where? Yeah. So it, to be fair, this is like the only entry that is that bad, timing-wise. Yes, it gets that better. seems to be true. We, the rest of it gets clear. We're more into the current time. So now we, we learn that Aunt Nora is in America, and she writes, she's writing letters, and she writes of opportunities in America and urges us all to join her. America, she says, is the land of hope. This is where I start saying, what, okay, what is Aunt Nora up to in America? And, you know. She was like on America's marketing team or what's something. Your, what's your angle here? Because as we'll, we'll find, we'll find out where Aunt Nora is. And I have opinions about it. Um, So... Uh, so we learn that Mary is going to America to join Aunt Nora and her sister Kate. And her sister Kate is working as a domestic servant in a, in a home of a wealthier American family. Which, by the way, mm-hmm. um, again, according to the Irish Public School Act, uh, girls in the Irish schools were educated but only to be domestic servants. So if Aunt Nora was their teacher in any sort of formalized way, mm. she was training them to do exactly what Kate is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we learned that um, Mary is going to join them in America, and she's going by herself. Uh, her parents, She's 14. She's as... 14, and she's going to get on the boat by herself. Want to see a picture of the boat? I do, actually. Okay, hold. There's a lot of... Um... This book utilizes illustrations what that were pen and ink etchings. Um, this book is called Black Potatoes, and I am in love with it. Mm. Um, it is the fa- <clears throat> Black Potatoes, I'm in love with it. The Story of the Great Irish Famine, 1845 through 1850, by Susan Campbell Bartoletti. Bartoletti. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody who has written a book has an Irish surname. Uh, now, Bartoletti, she got married. Okay. But um, she Campbell is definitely an Irish name. Hmm. Hold, please. There's lots. These. This is actually a children's book that I'm holding. <laughs> I know it's beefy. Um, but well, it's also she, just like uh, I mean, these are children's books too. But just like I love the idea of like let's let's teach the children of today about the potato family. But like the real history is in here. Like she talks about all the different like strata of society Mm -hmm. with Irish versus English versus Protestant and Catholic and like the intersections therein. Mm -hmm. And like it's been really interesting and rather in depth and I think she deals well with like she's showing respect to the kids that are reading her. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, yeah, you're smart enough to handle hard things. Listen, if there's one thing I know about kids is that you give them a book with like, here's all the dinosaurs, they will they will learn it. And so she gives out like all some like hard data, like here's what the ship looked like, here's what all of the. Like, this is a yeah. steamer ship. Um, it is likely that the ship that Mary is on ha- is has a sail. Mm-hmm. Um, so less like the Titanic, more like Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, but well, because I was wondering about that because the pictures. the previous ship um, uh, journey that we experience in this series is Mem on the you know the the ship to Here we go. Plymouth. Yeah. 
This is great audio content. Right. It looks like a schooner. This one's called the Jamestown uh, or the Macedonian, which is shown above. Um, And they carried provisions from the United States to Ireland. So this is a three-masted schooner. Schooner. Yes, exactly. Um, And so... But there were other ships that people took that were not fit. They, by 1847, people were so desperate to get the heck out of Ireland that mm. it was they were physically running to mm. get away from. Like they, some people said that they would rather die and go to hell because at least it wasn't Ireland. Jeez. Ah, yeah. It, yeah. Like, wait till you, I start telling you the rest. We haven't of this even history. really. Yeah, we haven't really dug into you know the potato part of it because I yeah I wrote. Well, it we in, haven't quite gotten to that part in yeah, our. Yeah, I know, I know, because I, I, I wrote a note. It's like okay, get enough with the ships and this. Uh, give me potatoes. Um, well, related page fourteen into page fifteen. Mm-hmm. Um, Tis food that feel, fills my dreams at night. A big bowl overflowing with bubbling stew, thick chunks of fish bobbing up in between large pieces of carrots, onions, and turnips. Mm-hmm. I barely have time to give thanks, um, but when I lift the first spoonful to my mouth, one chunk of fish turns into the head of a terrible snapping turtle and bites my lip. I awake terribly hungry. When mm-hmm. I get to America, I will eat and eat and eat and never stop. The American way. Yeah. So to explain, she uh, back a couple of pages on page eight. She does, we do get the introduction to the famine. Um, so it's basically, she's like, we, it's, it's for the best that I'm going to America because we don't have anything left. Once the potato provided us with all we needed. Now we are always hungry. Twas two years ago, I will never forget, when the fog came in, and I heard the dogs. They could smell the foul odor. Twas warning us they were, howling until the morning light. At first, Da was thinking soot had fallen on the potato crop, but the blackness spread to the dark green leaves and the purple blossoms. The leaves crumbled to ashes at his touch. When he dug down into the ground he discovered only a slimy mass of rotten potatoes black potatoes hence the title mm-hmm. of this book yes um now there's not a loaf of bread in all skibbereen we line up for soup but tis poor quality and leaves us hungry just the same um da t- talks of help coming from england but ma says that is foolishness the english care nothing about the irish you can't get blood from a turnip she says i suspect she is right would you like me to give you the rest of the irish potato famine information or do you want yes. to finish up with our content no now now that we've introduced let's talk let's dig in okay to the potato i'm famine. gonna limit myself to a page and a half okay of stuff that i wrote down and and buckle in, folks, because this is going to be the majority of our, of our first episode. We will get to the mill, but that will be next episode. Yeah, honest to fully. Pete, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about the boat some. But yeah, we'll we'll get to the boat today but too. But for right now, yeah, yeah, while yeah. we're on this subject, let's talk about the Irish potato. Because famine. to be fair, like the first half of the book is potatoes Getting ready to leave, and then the ship. Yeah. So yep, that's fair. We're just going in order. Absolutely. Um, so first off, it's important to know that. Irish potato. I, I'm sorry, forgive me. All potatoes are harvested twice a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you in August will harvest what's called a new potato, which is going to be like the smaller little I've, guys. I've harvested potatoes. Did you know that? No. Why'd you do that? <laughs> it was when I, <laughs> I I did a semester in Hungary, and, and they wanted to make sure you weren't hungry. <sighs> 
Uh, we you did can a- use that in the future because I know how funny it was. Oh, wow, it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> we did a little weekend in Ukraine in, on, in this like super rural town. This was a le- this was more than a decade ago. Yeah, yeah, but still, yikes on bikes. Um, and we we just like found ourselves in a field. <laughs> And you guys like, I can really go for a we snack. Found Anybody our... got any salt? No, no, no. We were, I mean, it was like partly like a, a, like a volunteer, like weekend. So like we, we were, we weren't completely abandoned without knowing what we were doing, but we okay. found ourselves in a potato field, uh, speaking to this Ukrainian woman and she just goes, well, uh, uh, and she points out, out into the field and she goes, tractor, uh, kaput. <laughs> So we learned that not only were we harvesting potatoes, but we were doing it the old-fashioned way. Yeah. <laughs> and it was it was fun. So, yeah, we dug through, and, and this would have been in August, so this was... There you go. Yeah. Baby little fingerling Baby little potatoes. fingerling potatoes. Dan used to harvest potatoes, and he has a lot of feelings about it. Does he? Yeah. Oh, okay. But he, his family, they farmed. Like okay. pretty extensively. Yeah, My this was definitely has an like depth organic farm. Yeah, this was this was me Marie Antoinette and across the Ukrainian countryside. What a perfect verb. <laughs> Look at me, I'm a farmer. Look, I can farm. <laughs> Whereas Dan had to do it like for real. He and was he's super mad about he it. He was more the I'm tired of this grandpa. <laughs> Too dang bad. <laughs> yeah, I keep trying to convince him to let me grow potatoes and onions in the front yard and he yeah. is not on board. Because he knows who will be harvesting. Yes. <laughs> he's familiar with my shenanigans, my Marie Antoinetting, if yeah. you will. Yeah. Um, so anyways, potatoes are harvested twice. In the early summer, um, August, they are the new potatoes are harvested. And then later, um, as the potatoes die back, uh, they get the larger, more thick-skinned potatoes in the second harvest. And mm. those larger ones um, are used to grow eyes, which are how they create seed potatoes. Um, mm. So they are left, they're put in a pit in the ground and covered with clay, uh, in the hopes that they actually will rot just a little bit to mm. get eyes, which can then be planted for the following year. Kind of like what happens when you leave your potatoes in your cupboard for yes, too exactly. long. Yes, exactly. Also, do you know that when your potatoes uh, turn to water in your cupboard, it smells like a corpse? Yep. Yeah, I found that out. So did I. Ugh. I actually had to like get rid of the shelf they were on. I had to throw yeah. that whole piece of wood away. Yeah. Anyway. I didn't because it was a rented house. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well. I'm a, I'm a landed, I'm, I'm a landed lady with I'm privileges. A great tenant. Uh, so, anyways, uh, the blackness that they're talking about uh, is a fungus. Um, that fungus likely came to Ireland, shipped in on fertilizer from South America that might have contained bat guano that carried the fungus. The bats. They all take us down in the end. Oh. Um, now, it's notable that that summer had been very, very wet and then very, very hot alternately, okay. which created a great deal of humidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, what loves like sort of a moist wetness? Mm-hmm. Fungus. Yay. And so that fungus is able to spread over 50 miles a day. And at that point in time, um, six out of every eight Irish people relied entirely on potatoes for almost all of their sustenance. Mm. Now, one thing that people get wrong frequently when discussing discussing the Irish potato famine is that 
oh, the Irish people should have diversified. <laughs> if you only grow one thing and then that thing gets sick, you all die. It's oh, a, you idiots. It's a little thing we like to call victim blaming the poor for being poor. No, 100%. Because we, as a society, want to believe that we're too smart to be poor. Ooh, we're going to come back to that idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the they were blamed. Um, for not having enough food, but it should be noted that Ireland was one of the most fertile farmland areas in the world. Hmm. Uh, They grew turnips, radishes, Mm -hmm. um, beets, sugar beets, all sorts of food that had a very diverse usage, not one crop. Notably, like what the Emerald Isle, isn't that what they call it? Yeah, yep, exactly, because it's so fertile. Exactly. Um, now, the real trouble, um, and I actually think this is the another thing I don't like about the book that we're reading currently, mm. it glosses right the heck over the non-natural parts of the Irish potato famine. We're mm-hmm. quick to talk about how all the plants are dying and the potatoes are black, mm-hmm. but not about this other part where the famine is entirely politically manufactured. I mean, it hints a little bit at it with like the, oh, the English aren't going to help. Right. One sentence. But like I have many sentences. I know you do. <laughs> um, so I think I don't like it when people are disrespectful to the way kids learn. Mm-hmm. Kids can absorb big ideas. In yeah. fact, some of the greatest literature known to humans is dealt with in sm- books for small humans. Mm-hmm. And they're capable of handling it. Mm-hmm. And so when people are vaguely disrespectful to kids and they try and tidy everything up because the kids can't handle it, gag me. (laughs) Children are so resilient and they are capable of learning and dealing with things that we adults crumble at. I mean, I'm I'm thinking immediately of the the trend of dystopian YA novels where like a very, very overdramatic in terms of like you know, the love triangles and right. whatnot. But listen, it, the hormones hit when the hormones hit. You know, you, you got to speak to your audience. You got feelings. Um, and, but notably deal very much with, um, you know, issues of inequality and starvation uh, and injustice. Injustice and Hunger Games does that particularly. I think well. my, Hunger Games is my favorite. The um, Avoxes, the fact that they cut those details out of the film. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They like literally took their ability to speak out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> so, yeah. So, I have to get my anger out of control. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Ireland versus England. Yeah. Um, so, this problem is quite old. Um, at the earliest date I could find in my nonfiction books was 1169, um, but through 1530. Mm-hmm. Um, there were many, many, many battles fought about whether or not the British could be in Ireland. I mean, it does, in a sense, it does go back further because um, when you think of the United Kingdom and you think of all the, the you know, parts of the king, separate kingdoms that make up the United Kingdom, the parts that aren't England are notably the parts that never got conquered by Rome. Um, so Very they true. they maintained a lot of their original Celtic or you know yeah. tribal culture. So you, Ireland, Scotland, uh, Cornwall, Wales. Um, I think that might be. Yeah, I think you're covered. You did um, it. Yeah. So that's it. Goes back even that far, even further. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. A very strong point. Um, and then 
uh, the author of Black Potatoes lays out the complications of these issues, again, because she respects her reader, mm-hmm. where Barry Dedenberg <laughs> doesn't. You have such beef. Oh, uh, my God. It really, truly mm-hmm. makes me angry when people are disrespectful. It does, like, it, it's so, yeah, the, the history of, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, like, thinking more about, like, the whole Roman yeah. part of it. I love thinking because, about Rome. Because, like, when, when the Roman Empire... Uh, I took an English history class, so this is this is gonna just start showing through. Yeah. But um, yeah, because when when Christianity became the official religion of of the Roman Empire, you know, it's circa the year three hundred, right? Yeah, it's spread throughout the empire, but notably not in those areas of the United Kingdom that hadn't been, um, you know, conquered, conquered. Um, and so Boudica, when good job. Boudica, yeah, Boudica, is that how you say it? I've I never mean, heard that word out loud. Does anyone really know? She lived so long ago. That's true. Um, so, and then when it becomes more, you know, what we think of as England, you still had those pockets of different cultures that they hadn't conquered yet. And um, so when they did start to conquer those areas and they were spreading Christianity, they did so namely by kind of co-opting existing um is that why we hide eggs at Easter? Yeah, and it's just yeah. That they're from a rabbit. Well, and if and Easter exists like the first Sunday after the full moon, after the vernal equinox. Yeah, yeah. How much more pagan could it be? It, notably, like a lot of churches in the UK will have an old tree outside of them, and that's because that's part of Druidic really um, culture. Like, it's like an old gods thing. It is an old gods thing. Cool. So they. They said, oh, well, you already use this site as a sacred site for worship. So we'll just, just come inside. We'll just pop a, a, a church right here. And so yeah. a lot of them will even have like, you know, a tree like arching over the, the entrance to the church. Cool. Um, yeah. I'm excited to anyway. go see that. And then they're like, ah, you stupid pagans. <laughs> Get in here and put this water Let's on. subjugate you. <laughs> well, speaking of subjugation, that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. They... The 80% of the nation of Ireland was Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. Irish Catholic, um, and following King Henry VIII's split from the Roman Catholic Church, mm-hmm. Irish Catholic became othered and made lesser than real quick because mm-hmm. all power in England is derived from your position to the king, mm-hmm. what you have in common with the king or the queen, but usually the king. Now the king. <laughs> yeah. Sad but true. Um, so it now became not only an issue of Irish versus English, but also Catholic versus Protestant. Which and, is also like Catholic light, because right. Church of England. Right. 100%. <laughs> Speaking as an Episcopalian, you right. Um, Henry VIII makes it Catholic versus Protestant. We also had a language issue before mm-hmm. 1831. The majority of people born in Ireland spork, spork, spork. spoke Irish Gaelic or Gaelic? I think it's Gaelic. Gaelic? Okay. It's Gaelic. It's Gaelic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so no E with the E over here. No think E. Think of up Outlander. Here. They say Gaelic. Do they? Yeah. I'm glad you've internalized that. All I just of my authority. What his butt looks like. Good for you. All my authority on Scott's culture is derived from Outlander. Listen, I have no authority, but I can tell you <laughs> an least, awful lot about what a guy looks like in a wet shirt. At least it's not Braveheart, I guess. <laughs> right. All right. So moving on. Um, there was a... In, in the othering of the Irish people, they were roughly branded as rebellious and barbaric. Mm-hmm. I think um, Queen Elizabeth I called them like 
animals are savages. Yeah, I wouldn't like, put that past her. She seemed know. like a right old piece of work. You know, we'll, we'll get to her. And I and I do deeply love Queen Elizabeth because that's... I'm, I'm, I simp for Queen Elizabeth a little bit, but not in that sense. That's fine. You read the Royal Diaries and yeah, you became a fan. I did. I understand. Yeah. She was a great child, according to whoever wrote that book. Right. Barry. It wasn't Barry. So um, they had this reputation of being rebellious and barbaric. This was aided by British opinions on what was an appropriate time for people to marry and how many children was an appropriate number of children. Mm. Uh, Remembering that any sort of family planning was severely, severely looked down on by the Irish Roman Catholic culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, So Irish people had very large families um, producing really quite a large number of people in this very fertile land. Mm -hmm. And I think personally that it made the British people feel like they could rise up with these many numbered people and take over culturally or for power. I think it's very strange um, for modern Americans to, uh, and I'm saying this from my personal experience, to imagine like the kind of what we would describe to racism um, in in like a two very <laughs> to our eyes very similar cultures. You right. know, they're they're so close to each other. You have the same skin color. Like right. you know, we're used to that. Like. It's that very kind of visual divide, a very visual divide in America. And so it's, it sounds kind of strange for us to think like, oh, here's this other group of people that modern people would call white. Right. Um, However, being treated at that point in time, exactly. whiteness hadn't been invented yet. It had been invented yet. And it was culturally like p- white people existed for clarity. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the idea of whiteness and that there was As somebody a cultural who was exactly definition of whiteness had hadn't existed yet and even as we'll find in america it wasn't as pardon my pun black and white as it is now right right um so they've really started oppressing and subjecting the irish people and then in 1690 that gets more formalized um when william the orange notable protestant and dutchman yeah uh-huh. huh um I'm goes scared. to battle in Ireland for <laughs> okay. a battle called um the Battle of Boyne River. Uh-huh. Um afterwards was introduced something called penal laws specifically existing to suppress Catholicism and keep it from taking power ever again. Yeah. Um uh, effectively it made anybody who was Catholic a second class citizen mm-hmm. in very formalized ways. Yeah. They would never be able to be up for the same jobs or the same advancements they couldn't hold the same land mm-hmm. um and that's another divide that i think is is sounds strange to modern years but uh, even in america like the catholic versus protestant divide historically was a big deal and right. is an even bigger deal in europe especially yes whereas like today nobody really cares yeah i, th- like, I think Christians, a lot of people Christian, Christian, there's a lot fine. of americans now who i think are shocked to find out that you know this existed <laughs> i always like when i hear about you know guy fox day mm-hmm. my first full understanding of that i was like which is when a catholic tried to blow up the buildings of parliament and in, notably why like, we 1590. have 1590 v for vendetta v for vendetta <laughs> that's when i learned about it um anyway the whole th- time i was like well that's stupid who cares i know but that's because we're modern americans and it doesn't matter here it doesn't it really doesn't matter as much however i 
in my lifetime have had to explain to Protestant people that uh, Catholics are in fact Christian. <laughs> you do get in your bubbles. <laughs> cool. <laughs> um. Anyway, so in 1801, uh, William Pitt convinced not only the um, Irish Protestants who had been slowly taking power, um, but also the Irish Catholics mm-hmm. to unify for once, uh, for good and last, with mm-hmm. the UK to be part of this agreement of power. And the Irish Catholics were like, yeah, they'll stop treating us like secondhand citizens now. We should agree. And they do. And it's a total bait and switch. Yeah. Um, that that never happens. The Irish Catholics are forever subjugated and othered, um, and it is never made better. Um, and in 1801, it was absolutely bait and switch. Mm. Um, so Ireland uh, had very fertile farmland. They had lots of livestock. Um, and great butter. Really great butter. Yeah. I have a lot of opinions about Kerrygold butter, and Kerrygold. I get mad when it's out of stock because other people are figuring out how great it is. Kerrygold, sponsor us. <laughs> Do you remember when I went on my pissy little rant last I year? Do. I, I was do. so mad. I'm also remembering that like early pandemic medium article where this that lady was, was like, like, "Stop how making your own bread." How dare you take my bread supplies from my family? Yep, that's exactly who I was. It was like I was cosplaying her. Uh, if you want to hear something comforting, I've moved off of Kerrygold. Whoa! I, know, I found a new butter. Is it's it better? I wouldn't go that far, but say. it's still European quality, which means it has less water than the American butter. Um, also, guys, you can make your own butter. I'm happy to teach you how. Um, that would be a fun little Patreon thing. We can do a butter making one. We don't have a Patreon. We should set Yet. that up. <laughs> Content. <laughs> um, so Ireland had all these things, um, but they really became to rely on the potato, including its livestock, because whatever mm-hmm. humans didn't finish, like, for example, if you don't eat the peel of your potato the jacket mm-hmm. of your potato you would give that to your pigs you might give it to your cows slop you would give it to your chickens uh so yeah because notably they're you know super fertile farmland and they are becoming a good source of food for england for england. So they are shipping so much so much food, food away mm-hmm. you're exactly correct you're you're picking up what i'm laying down i am um at the time of the first potato famine which was in 1845 mm-hmm. when our book starts it's two years later yeah um sorry hang on i have to be able to turn my page the old library baby uh at that point in time ireland had a population of eight million people which doesn't mm-hmm. sound like a lot but when you consider that it was an entirely rural population there had not mm-hmm. been any sort of industrial revolution, it is quite a lot. Um, so of that 8 million, 3 millions were farm laborers who were in terrible poverty. There mm. were three classes of people. Irish Catholics mm-hmm. were at the very bottom. The Irish Protestants were allowed to be landowners. Now, mm. Irish Catholics had owned land previous to England's occupation of them. Yeah. Um, but they were pushed and pushed and pushed and made to give up their land through all sorts of horrible ways, mm-hmm. um, including when the potato famine started and people were literally starving to death. Mm-hmm. They would give up their land for pennies to English people who could come in and mm-hmm. take it and really solidify their power in yeah. Ireland. And that's a really lasting legacy, too. Like they still, That is still a problem today. The council estates, is that what they're called? Yeah. Which is basically 
like an entire village land real estate wise belongs to historically english people yes. yep. um english protestant people english protestant who speak people. english and much like what has happened in america like when you keep an entire class of people from being able to own property um, they are kept in a perpetual cycle of poverty that yep. And mm-hmm. people who can hand property down mm-hmm. create something called generational wealth. Yep. Where your children have a leg up mm-hmm. that other people don't have. Yeah. Um, and Ireland, through this occupation, and that's what it is. It is an illegal occupation uh, where one country has taken over power of another. Yeah, um, The United States knows an awful lot about that. Um, so of those 8 million, 3 million were farm laborers who lived in pop- poverty. People who owned farms, big, medium, small, mm. were better off than people who were farm laborers. Farm right. laborers were typically renters, but the the quality of housing that they were paying for was being paid to somebody who lived across the Irish Sea. Mm-hmm. And those people had nothing invested in the they were basically deadbeat dads yeah who did not take care of their property so these properties were getting worse and worse over time they were slumlords very much um sometimes they were slumlords of people who lived in ditches Mm -hmm. that was actually not uncommon we'll talk about a little bit about that when i get onto my second page which i will promise i'll i'll kick it up here okay all right um, they had horrible housing. They were unable to afford adequate clothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ireland has pretty changeable weather, so that's a big deal. And when you don't have adequate clothing and food, you also don't have adequate wellness to mm-hmm. work enough to make money to get those things, mm-hmm. which is still something that's a problem in America. America's sick all the time, mm-hmm. and we don't have public health. And so Americans are regularly too sick to work enough to support themselves or so desperate for work that they are willing to put other Americans in danger while they work mm-hmm. um, via, I don't know, sneezing on plates of food, for example, um, which is, you know, a lot of how, you know, disease carries. I said that. What? Tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. Did you get very far? Uh huh. Oh, such an inappropriate song. Yeah, that's true. I talked about the deadbeat dads. All right, let's talk about workhouses. Oh. If you were completely out of options, uh, there was a law starting in 1838 mm-hmm. uh, that was called the Poorhouse Law, where and this does come up in in the book in. And Mary references it. Going to a workhouse and yeah, how she says, they're terrified that they might end up there. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the, the, she, to go back to the dip back into the book a minute, um, on page 12, um, she's saying landlords all around are evicting people. And mm-hmm. she's talking about another family who basically their cottage was people came in and tore it down. Yeah, stone by stone. awful. Um, and then she's, you know, Ma fears that we will be next. Um, if they take the cottage from us, we'll have to turn to the poorhouse for relief. Yep. So. Yeah, you're exactly it's correct. A very real and present danger. So go on. Let me tell you a couple things that is real and present danger. Yeah. Um, first and first off, um, the poorhouse was paid for through taxation. 
As a tax and spend liberal, that sounds pretty good to me. But these taxes were exclusively levied on the farmers, not the wealthy landowners, but the farmers. Interesting. The farmers had to pay tax on their crop in order to pay for these workhouses, uh, not the lawmaking landowners. Um, Everybody was miserable. Uh, These houses were... (laughs) I feel like that's that's a good summation sentence. The Irish potato famine. Everyone was miserable. It was it was real bad. Um, so it might be the episode title. <laughs> if you went to the workhouse, if you went to the workhouse and applied for their one crappy meal a day, mm. literally just one thin soup was absolutely um, what they were offering. It wasn't enough to actually sustain or heal your body. Do you know how many calories it takes to heal a body? No. You should be eating six times what you eat. As if you were just living a normal life Hmm. because you have to triple replace your cells. Yeah, I guess if you're thinking in terms of science, it's, you know, you're probably burning a lot of those calories. Absolutely. Um, Eight calories out of every 10 that you eat goes to your brain just to keep things running. So anything that you need to do beyond staying awake, moving around and further sustaining yourself is stuff that takes extra juice. I went into this coma mm-hmm. um, with lots of extra fat mm-hmm. as stored as a battery because fat is a glorious battery that will keep your body safe and healthy. That is its evolutionary purpose. Mm-hmm. So That's had, why bears get so fat before hibernation. Legitimately, yes. Yes. I lost 50 pounds in three weeks in that coma. Which is wild. It yes. And for I woke up with hollow spots, like stuff where yeah. things had been flushed out and now there was like a dent. But like, thank goodness you had... Because otherwise I would have died. Yeah. People who have less fat on their bodies, mm-hmm. including people who run marathons, people who you think of as being very healthy. Like me. Oh, like you for saying it and not making me say it. Yeah. No, yeah, honest to God, not you. you yeah. You have I a proportional amount of body fat that is correct for you. Well, okay. Barely. Right. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to preach at you and be like, Jen, the way you eat is wrong. Because that's not the case. Like, you trust your body. Your body is yeah, yeah, what it wants. I eat. I'm not, like, I'm not restricting myself by that's any fine. means. I know that. I, I, but I don't I'm, want you to think that I'm I'm more making you. a comment of, um, like, having a, th- a thin body, people will assume things about yeah. you that are not, are equally not healthy. Yeah. Like, I've, like, if I go to a workout class, people will be like, you know, you don't need to be here. It's like, yes, I do. <laughs> like, I, I do. We should move our bodies for joy. Yeah. Like, right? I, like, it's not about I don't punishing wanna, our bodies into being able to eat something. Yeah, I don't want to lose all my flexibility and muscle, you know, yeah. strength. So it's, no. yeah. I'm glad that you do exactly what you do with your body. All your choices are correct. Thank you. Just so you know. Um, anyway, my point was, if I did not have that fat mm-hmm. to lose, my body would not have been able to heal itself in the miraculous ways that right. I have healed. Yeah. Um, and that's a really important thing to remember, because these people were not given the opportunity to heal. Mm-hmm. And because so much of their diet came from one thing, they were already running really close to the skimmer. Like, these yeah. people must have been flirting with scurvy. Like, do you I, know what happens with scurvy? <laughs> I was just going to say, I love potatoes. You know this. I do know that. <laughs> I'm a potato queen. Yeah. I've seen you put away. You'll just house you, potatoes. You, you see <laughs> they me. brought out a paddle of potatoes and your face lit up. You, I will wax poetic about potatoes. Haha, <laughs> like a waxy potato? Yeah. 
Um, but man cannot live on potato alone no. because you need other nutrients. Now, there are some vitamin C nutrients in a potato, yeah. um, that green underskin from when it's like new. There's some yeah. vitamin C in that. So it probably wasn't actually giving people scurvy, but you can develop scurvy yeah. even today. And when you get scurvy, every injury you've ever happened, the bot, the collagen that like creates the scars that hold your injuries together will just unzip and open and eat you'll be greens. injured again. Eat you your just, greens, eat your eat citrus. Your greens, <laughs> eat your citrus. Sorry, I am... Angry monologuing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, I think other people might call it a rant, perhaps. Um, We're, it's passionate. Yeah. It's passionate. We are. (laughs) (sighs) More energy. So the housing in Ireland was pathetic because all of the landowners typically lived in England and they didn't have a horse, you know, they didn't have skin in the game. Exactly. Deadbeat dads. It's a thing. It's a thing today. It is also a thing today. I we the the house I live in now was previously owned by someone who lived in Florida and was renting it. And yeah, you can tell that you can always tell when they we, don't care. We call it the landlord special because it's it's a house that's that's has the bare minimum. They painted the roach to the wall. They paint the roach to the wall or they paint over all the outlets and you just you can tell when a house is not like they don't care because they don't live there. Right. And yeah. So these workhouses, um, did you know that if you volunteered to go to a workhouse, which is I started this sentence and then I got distracted about Sorry. body fat. <laughs> um the if you volunteered to go, you didn't get to freely leave. They got to tell you when you could leave. So if you went in and you accepted that soup, you're giving up all of your rights and freedoms as a human being. It's you have like to some effectively twisted work. Fey realm. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. Let's come back to that okay, idea. We're gonna put a pin, a pin in that. In that. Mm-hmm. And I'm finally gonna turn this page. Ooh. I know, I'm making some headway. Ooh. Um, so as I said, six out of eight potato people lived off. Six of out of eight potatoes. <laughs> right. Six out of every eight potatoes will tell you to eat potatoes. Uh, no, six out of every eight people lived entirely off potatoes. Yeah. Um, both of the books that I'm reading have a little rhyme, a little verse. Potatoes in the morning, potatoes in the evening. And if I wake up at midnight, potatoes I will be, or potatoes there will be, or something like that. Uh-huh. Potatoes I will be. I, I mean, wake that's up also midnight. true. That's, that's essentially how I feel if I wake up in the middle of the night. So when you are growing potatoes, potatoes are not a crop that lasts. Hmm. It's not going to pull you all the way through the winter into the spring, um, depending on when you dig up the pit to get to the old potatoes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still not going to be enough. So even before 1845, before this Irish potato famine began, there were what was called the hungry months, mm-hmm. where they this six out of eight people did not have potatoes to live on any longer because they had to plant these potatoes that they still had so that they would have food for next year. Such a gamble. Very much. Uh, Potatoes don't last, so a lot of Irish people had to be proficient in summer foraging. They were looking for wild turnips, wild cabbage, um, edible uh, herbs and weeds, Mm -hmm. um, edible flowers, berries, mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Everything that was harvest and planting, that was all the job opportunities there were. So the the Irish economy was not diverse enough to support its people. Mm. Um, a lot of people, when it came time to forage, 
whether this was before 1845 or after, would frequently do it at night out of shame Hmm. because they didn't have the plenty that God had promised to feed their family. So maybe something that they did was wrong. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they were being somehow punished by God. And then they brought that ideology to America. Well, it was already there, but yeah. Prosperity gospel Mm -hmm. is harmful. Yeah. Um, food costs for things that were not potatoes were affected by a lazy fair market. A lazy fair market is one where the government insists that they don't get to tell people how to run their businesses. Mm-hmm. So they can let their businesses be as cruel as they want. Mm-hmm. So rent shot up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the food costs for things that were not potatoes shot up. The mm-hmm. food costs for the surviving potatoes shot up. Mm-hmm. Um They started getting personal loans that came with an interest of 20 to 50%. Yeah. Yeah. Does any of this sound familiar? Oh, yeah. It sounds very familiar. Yeah. Laissez-faire capitalism is, first of all, laissez-faire is a French term, which roughly translates to hands off, I think. Um, Sure. Yeah. uh, I don't speak any French. This is a thing that I learned in AP history. Love it. 15 years ago um so yeah it's it's essentially the worst most unregulated form of capitalism and it's what we practice in america usually yeah pretty much pretty much yay um now remember before when you were talking about blaming poor people for being poor yeah oh we get a large dose of that starting right around 1845 Mm -hmm. when appeals came from the irish people to the uk people who remember back in 16 something 1801 they unified so it's been 50 years Mm -hmm. where the uk has been the overseers of power in ireland Mm -hmm. effectively ireland's dad so these people you know when they fall on fathers yeah i got a lot of feelings about dads right now that's fine we don't need to dig into that we don't let's not (laughs) invest it let's not look under that rock yeah um, anyway, so when they appealed to the British government. To the distant daddy. Yeah. Right. Notably Queen Victoria. Oh. Mm-hmm. Now, before we hate on Queen Victoria too much, she actually gave the single she was largest a donation. Girl boss. <laughs> in all the ways that we can use the word girl boss. Yeah. She wasn't all good. Um, but anyway, so she personally gave of her own funds, not of government funds. She gave $2,000 for relief of the Irish. I'll say this about Queen Victoria. I think she, it's one of those issues where this is a trait that a lot of Americans have, where she was very good at empathizing with an individual or like hearing about a problem and being like, wow, that really speaks to my heart as a mother and as the queen, you know, but was also very easily good at ignoring the systems good at ignoring whole swaths of people that weren't right in front of her which is true of everyone but when you're the queen of them that's not exactly responsible yeah i agree um so they started (laughs) blaming the irish people uh with various things like they should have worked harder Mm. how are you gonna work harder against a fungus the fungus among us uh just do it I guess. Just do it better. They should have drunk, been drunk less. Um, the Irish were considered uh, barbaric drunkards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, something our Native American listeners or those familiar with our Native American listeners that will resonate with them. Uh-huh. They should have had which fewer is, kids so they had fewer beca- mouths to feed. Because it, England was famous for drinking oh pints of gin. Have you ever All been time. to... I went to a wedding for my friend who is... Th- their mother's from Manchester. Yeah. Um, and I was a pretty good drinker at the time yeah and i was put 
Touche. Don't try to out. I. You can't out drink a European. You'll die. This is America. We went through a decade of prohibition, and we have not been the same. We all worked our issues out. We like went through rehab in the 1920s, and we never really got back on the wagon. Yeah. Not in the way. Not in the same way. No. Uh, You cannot out drink a European person. That's Mm -hmm. like going to war with Russia. Just don't. Land war in Russia in the winter? I hardly think so. No. So that brings about soup kitchens. Um, Our good friend Ellen would tell you about people who took the soup. Uh, Mm. They would take the handouts from the English people in order to survive, but it cost them their land and their pride and their dignity. Um, These soup kitchens... I don't know how to feel about this gentleman because he seems to have a lot of good and bad characteristics, perhaps. Okay. His name was Sir Robert Peel, oh. and he had actually witnessed uh, in 1816 mm-hmm. another famine, different famine that had swept through the country, and he saw how bad things could get for what was effectively the third world, mm-hmm. and he had a great deal of compassion. So he established these soup kitchens, but like Queen Victoria, he has this compassionate moment, but he allows the soup kitchens to be entirely funded by the Irish mm. who already don't have money. Yeah. So, like, it so raises very, their taxes. It's a very kind of detached, rich person way of thinking. It's like, oh, well, you know, it'll be good for them. It'll right. give them a sense of... Pulling it up by their bootstraps. Uh, yeah, of responsibility. This is a quote from The Graves Are Walking, uh, The Great Irish Famine and the Saga of the Irish People by John Kelly. Um, and he wrote here... Um, The result of putting all of the initiative and, um, sorry, I have to find my spot, Uh, putting all of that on the Irish people um, resulted in Parliament passing the Poor Law Extension Act, which transferred the entire cost of relief to Ireland. The Extension Act proved a great boon for the Irish tax collectors, whose numbers increased by 222.5% during the famine but also for Irish coffin makers, Hmm. whose numbers increased by 187.6%. But not for the Irish peasantry, whose numbers, um, who were doing most of the dying. Sorry, I tried to combine lines there. Um, So there's so much to consider about these many layers of the Irish potato famine. Um, I'm really enjoying reading both of these books. Um, Again, the first one is called Black Potatoes, the story of the Great Irish Famine, 1845 through 1850 by Susan Campbell Bartoletti. Forgive me, Susan. I keep butchering your last name. Um, And then again, The Graves Are Walking, The Great Famine and the Saga of the Irish People by John Keller. Um, If you want uh, other book recommendations and links to these books, uh, you can visit our reading notes available on our website oh hey i should probably update ribbon, that spreadsheet ribbonbookclubpod.com yay um so i'm gonna stop being angry now do you want to get back to i am genuinely the more <laughs> like i had to i was reading a smutty little romance book also yeah. And I had to That's an adult take a break for all you right yeah <laughs> but you know what it's not that bad it's not super spicy Okay. Um, but anyway, I had to stop reading it because all of the male leads are members of the English aristocracy mm-hmm. in roughly this era. And I was like, I don't want to talk to you people. Yeah. Okay. So I was really angry all day. <sighs> it's okay to be mad at the English every once in a while. 
Well, and all power structures, because it also reminded me of what's happening with the war between Israel and Palestine. Yeah. And how much, you know, Palestine and specifically Gaza is occupied nation where the food and resources, the power and the water are entirely controlled by an occupying army and are not given freely to people who need them. And Mm. that's happening right now. We don't get to like turn a little page and be like, things were weird back then. Anyway, it is right now. (laughs) I know. Nope. Um, You're right. I'm just a little. No, 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 no. That was that was me making a joke about how we can't just turn the page. Oh, Um, I get it. Yeah, uh, yeah, free Palestine. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's that is. A, that's free Ireland too. Uh, I really hoped in the wake of the death of Elizabeth II that Ireland and Scotland would be able to throw off the yoke oh, of English occupation. That's not going to happen for a minute. All I've got is hope on a rope, baby. I, yeah, we are staunchly anti-colonialist and anti-monarch. I don't believe in a non-representational government historically yeah that is a very american thing yeah. about you and about us um but i am deeply american we are we are deeply american and we have i really of, like american cheese nobody can take it from me and which is not to say that america doesn't have its own sorted history of Whoa. colonialism we don't have to get into that right now yeah, but, but we, we will <laughs> and we and we have and we have and we will. and i'm proud that we're grumpy about it right right that, that's just to say like we're we're equal opportunity cri- critique crit- critics of colonialism i like to think of myself as a tiger mom i'm gonna yell at america until it does better yeah that's that is our version of patriotism yeah i think um okay so anyway i'm gonna angry flip pages <laughs> i mean yeah shall we, we get on the boat Let's get on the boat. Let's get on the boat. There is, there are a bunch of more pages about her being in Ireland. Like she, she does go into more detail. There's, there's a bit of an inconsistency about, you know, whether or not they have pigs and for how long. Um, well, because Denberg, I think, has trouble establishing what's in the past and what's now. Yeah, it's. So she's she's very excited to get to America. She says goodbye. She has a there's another instance of like she has a good friend that she's very sad to say goodbye to, which was very like our Hattie in the last I book. Know, I know, but that's this fine. Is, I, I mean, think I think it's a, I think it's a running theme of like we got to hit these notes of like we're going to introduce concepts that kids these days are not familiar with right such as the potato famine but then we're going to put it in with a concept that they are very familiar with which these is relationships that really moving solidify. away from a friend yeah um and so i i kind of like that um and i'm still friends with everybody i knew in in kindergarten so <laughs> well there's only six kids in my kindergarten so it's we're not that hard so, we're so different um uh, and so and yeah, we're so similar <laughs> and yet so similar um and that's why our friendship works oh my god but that's why i'll still be friends with you in 90 years wow anyway so she 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 uh mr nevin who is a neighbor picks her up with his horse and cart so they can go the 30 miles to yeah, cork. so she doesn't have to hoof it 30 miles 30 miles to cork um here we go ship time ship time Holy ship. Um, <laughs> Does that count? Do I get away with that? I'll allow it. Ah! Uh, so I don't sh- know if you should be the arbiter of taste, though. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, what page are you on? I'm so sorry. Oh, we, I was busy being angry. On, on page 21 is, Thank you, is when she boards the ship in Cork. 
Um, and she's like, I've never seen this many people. There's more people on this boat than in all of Skibbereen. Honestly, it probably was. People yeah. were so desperate to leave yeah, Ireland yeah, yeah. by 1847 that the boat was probably dangerously mm-hmm. overloaded. Speaking of overloaded, um, yeah. they find some barrels and they chisel them open to find a man stowing away in one and they kick him off the boat yeah never mind that he's literally starving to death starving to death these are one of the notes that i didn't say out loud Mm. i just wrote starving hurts under Mm. like really big letters like if you ever got this page you would be like wow this person had a lot of feelings starving literally hurts i imagine that every every time i get a little bit hangry i get very over honest to god not you cannot multiply it by enough yeah no right like the starving the way when you're truly starving and which i've never experienced despite everything Mm -hmm. when you're truly starving your body hurts in such a magnificent way it's like that constant pain of fibromyalgia because Mm. your nerves are starting to eat themselves Mm -hmm. because there is nothing else to survive on Mm -hmm. starving hurts Mm -hmm. these people were in constant pain even the children especially the children because children's bodies need a lot of calories Mm -hmm. i get yeah remember how worked up i got yogurt kids yeah don't just put it in the trash remember how angry i got during the discussion of the russian famine in the 1920s in our previous yes in our previous life yeah uh with the show that the kids shouldn't listen to um I am that worked up about this. I get mad about, we can feed every single person on this earth. We have no trouble with it. There's nothing. There is nothing. But man, I'm sorry. Wow. I agree. I am so, I could punch somebody right now. I know you can't put it in. cannot say that. (laughs) I would cold cock somebody right now. Just a fist to the back of a skull. I am so angry. I am Bernie Sanders ready to stop a fight on the Senate floor angry because every single instance of starvation and hunger in this world of which in within the united states mm-hmm. there's loads of mm-hmm. by the way mm-hmm. did you know something like four out of every 10 children in america experiences daily hunger yeah daily i said daily yeah. with every day yeah okay which is why there is no reason for it there is absolutely should, no reason for it there should not be any billionaires we should tax the rich do you hear the people sing <laughs> yeah no singing i the song we're, we're, we're right men. there with them okay. uh, all right. and I i'm gonna let you talk about the we book. should give all of the money to public schools and every child every child should have free breakfast and lunch um yes but, even if it hurts local businesses all right Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm really, I have so many, like, I'm really, I would fight people. I would fight in the street on this issue. I did not anticipate this book to be the most, like, to get you the most angry so far out of all the books. I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I know. I'm right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I hope my great grandmother wasn't hungry. Uh, Well, I mean, she got here, yeah. and my God, she married well. What? What? Do you know what time they? What year about they would have immigrated? No, but I'll work on that. Okay, um, it's one of the things I well, want to because that was something, and what we can talk about that when the ship gets closer to or leaves port. Um, uh, immigration, anyway. Yeah. So she's on. So the 
poor man gets kicked off of the ship um and she's you know holding her ticket very tightly um and she finds a man and his wife um who take pity on her and take her under their wing um, the o'donnells the o'donnell mr and mrs o'donnell from killarney um, they sound like lovely people yeah and they're like we have a daughter about your age who is already in america her name is alice boy did Remember they leave that? out some details about their daughter uh we'll get there yep um and so they're like ah you know come hang out with us um and yeah she like stays below uh the ship when they leave because she says what's done is done (laughs) yeah she doesn't need to see ireland anymore she knows she's not going back yeah which is wow that's that's some big feelings so and but but I admire her bravery about being ready to do she's what's next. ready to go. But it, like again, if you, all you've ever known is pain and suffering in your homeland, and all you've ever be been told easy. about America is that people wear red and the, and the streets, streets are, are paved, paved with, with gold, gold. Aunt Nora, chill out, Aunt Nora. Mm-hmm. So uh, then she talks about the ship um, that the the berths are so narrow and so like tight that she she doesn't even dare to undress and change into her sleeping gown um and it, she, she has to sleep only on her side and, and like it just, they're just packed i was in, very like, touched sardines. by her community who left her they mm-hmm. were like we have nothing and we're not we're going to keep having nothing but yeah. look we got you this nightgown it buttons in the front mm-hmm. how thoughtful and yeah. giving is that yeah and that and the oat cakes from the, oat the cakes people who had nothing from the o'donnell's um they share Oh, no. They share a chamber pot. They're sharing all kinds of things. Her friend's mom gives her oat cakes. Yes. She's like, dip them in tea. They'll be fine. Except for there is no tea. There is no tea, of course. Um, And the ship provides little to eat besides these awful biscuits. And again, they could. They just won't. Well... I don't know how much the ship has in particular, but but surely it's probably owned by somebody who has enough than, to build a ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all it's all levels of sorry, just of wealth so here. I mean, we could talk about no, it's fine. All kinds. Wait, of, otherwise, this episode will be six hours long, and, and it'll just I'll be me just yelling, be screaming. Yeah. Okay. So keep going. You're doing such a great job. Thank you. Um. So, but they uh, like you're saying, like. They find community within the ship. They the the families work together, and they will make stew. Um, there's another family, the Corcorans. Um, they have like fifty million children. They have three children. Oh, it seems um, like a lot. Two twins, pretty twin girls, Molly and Sophie, and Brendan, who is nine. Um, and so Mary develops a very sweet relationship with the children. She's like the cool older girl on the ship. Yeah. I I think those girls must have loved it. Um, and because they say, um, uh, I asked Miss Corcoran how old the twins were and they shouted, guess, I pretended to give the question great consideration. Three, I said, and they shook their heads, delighted that they had fooled me on my first guess. Again, I appeared lost in thought Two, This caused even greater delight. Twas true. I was going off track, leaving them no choice but to tell me. They looked at each other, deciding who would tell seven. Molly said, my, my, I said, I have never met twins that old. Never in all my days. I th- I just think that's a very sweet um, yeah. moment of her being like, 
a cool babysitter. Yeah. And and she just and she develops a relationship with them over time. They're she's like their full on babysitter caretaker. Um and the O'Donnells will yeah share their chamber pot. They teach her how to how to use the poop deck, tie a rope to the chamber pot, and and dunk it into the ocean to clean it out and pull it back up. But again, you did that on the poop deck. On the poop deck, and that is why it was called the poop deck. And there's also the only latrines on the ship are on I are also the poop deck, or is that on Um, a different part of the? It depends on how old the ship is. Okay, so in the earliest form. Uh-huh. Um, the poop deck would have had something kind of like a swing on a boom Ooh. where you would have, instead of utilizing a chamber pot on board the ship, mm-hmm. you would have swung out um, a bit. Horrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Pardon me. And I will remind you that I'm not an authority on these matters. I'm sure there's somebody out there who is. I'm going to cough again. <clears throat> but I, I believe I read that once. Um, and then eventually, yes, mm. uh, the latrine or the head, as it's called on a ship, mm. uh, would have been utilized there. I This is reminding me of one of my favorite coffee table books that we had when I was a child, which is the cross-section book. Oh. Have you heard of this? Yo, do your parents still have that? Uh, probably somewhere. Let's find that and bring that here. Uh, yeah, I want because to see it. it had uh, cross-sections of... All these different kinds of buildings and, and vehicles. There was, was it in color or were they? Sketched? It was in color. So it was like a it was illustrated. Oh okay. no! It was it was like old, it was hand drawn illustration, like colored, and it was cool. beautiful. Do and you want it to had see? it was one of these classic like little kid like obsessions. Yeah, where like it had like Egypt the castle book. and it had the ship and it had a space shuttle and the and a steamship and. Uh, Dear Jen's know, parents, can you send that to my house so I can a, look at it? And a submarine. It had everything. And in every single one, it had a bathroom and it would always have someone on the toilet. Pooping. Adorable. Yeah. Almost like a Where's Waldo. It was a Where's Waldo of it was. I, I, that sounds like so much fun. And it was always just like where spot the pooper. Right. And it's like a classic. Like where's like Waldo always to, has a butt somewhere. Yeah, you got to capture the kid's attention somehow. Right. Where's the butt? And I was always looking for that pooper. Um, and so they had an old timey ship, and I clearly remember um, an image of a sailor man. Amazing on a pooper. Um, so that's all I thought about. Um, <laughs> she says she does mention that there are like some some level of on deck latrine, but you have to like it is on the deck and it's like so cold and windy. <laughs> I'm also a nervous peer myself, so I would I could never I could never. Um, and then we have uh, we have a bit of a storm, uh, a violent gale, and it's <clears throat> making. Them, Everyone's like stuck below decks, and then we have Mr. O'Donnell starts suffering from ship fever. Awful. Um, he just—it's never a good sign. Well, hygiene when all these bodies are packed in so close together, mm-hmm. people are not washing their hands. Right. I don't think at this point in time they really knew the science of hand washing. Yeah, I don't know. Like they don't go into detail on the symptoms. Besides that, it's a fever. Um, so I don't know if it's like cholera or what it is it's probably cholera sure um yeah so it's not it's not looking great um we have 
oh oh here's the weird part there was she she's scared of the storm so but she goes above deck and the wind had stopped and it was still raining so she crawls under a sail that's on deck um and after a time i felt another leg touching mine and i was like oh oh no oh no i thought it was a dead body (laughs) it was a boy older than me to be sure but there was barely enough light to see i couldn't tell if his eyes were open or closed didn't i think that he was sleeping or just keeping still i prayed he wasn't dead (laughs) and he's not He's not dead. His name is Patrick, and nope. he seems nice. His name is Sean. Oh. Sean Riordan. Some um, other lollipops, Lucky Charms name. Wow, you spent so long defending the Irish, and you yeah. come with this That's fine. Lucky Charms I am business. one of them, apparently. Yeah, so. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, so she meets Sean, who becomes a very useful um, friend to her. Um, he's... Yeah. And um, he actually seems genuinely kind. There doesn't seem to be a mm-hmm. like a reason that he's doing it. Like he's not trying to extort her, or get something out of her. Yeah, um, he just genuine genuinely seems happy to be there, happy to help. Well, and he seems well bred, like very well cultured. Like mm-hmm. he was taught manners, um, and we see that in his family that we meet as well. Yes, which is I think a very useful literary device. He becomes the local expert. Um, so he says that he's also going to America to find work. Um, and he has an uncle, Patrick Quinn, who sent money for his ticket. Um, his uncle's been living in Boston for five years and he owns a tavern. And uh, so she says, I, I told Sean about Aunt Nora and my plans to work in the mills. Do they hire Irish? She asked. Um, I must have made a queer face. Some places don't hire Irish, you know, he said. The Nina culture. N-I-N-A. No Irish need apply. Oh, yes. Yeah. So that is, you know, that's the introduction to our first taste of American prejudice against the Irish. Yeah. For which there was plenty. There was plenty. And uh, sometimes is plenty, kind of. Like, Mm. Irish brawlers is still a thing. And thinking of the Irish as a very drunk people is a thing. There's still a broad kind of stereotype of Irish people. Um, If you think just of the boston irish um, yeah certainly and it comes from much more sinister stereotypes and prejudices um and so we we i assume we'll see more of that to come um uh, uh, and she she explains some of her like uh ideas about what life is going to be like i told him i would live in a big house on a cliff overlooking the ocean and i would spend my days watching over the waves to come in so it's just you know she's got some grand ideas um okay uh mr o'donnell is still feverish flipping ahead he gets worse Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> we just have the same thought? Yep. <laughs> Mr. O'Donnell bites it. Bites yeah. the big one. But we also have some some kind of terrible uh, f- uh, foreshadowing. Well, not foreshadowing, because you just like hear some symptoms of like her saying, like, oh, I'm tired. Um, she she herself gets sick. Yeah, she herself gets the ship fever, but it's like introduced like little nuggets at a time like i can't i can barely walk without stopping to catch my breath um i get dizzy Uh, it's a trial to write um and then yeah sure enough she 
got ship fever. Um, Mr. We really got to hit that P ship. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It just sounds real bad. Ship. Yep. Uh, Mr. O'Donnell dies. Um, she goes, uh, Mary goes above deck to see him off because Mrs. O'Donnell is doesn't want him with to be grief. alone. Um, yeah. It's a horrible death. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just more, more sickness and creaking of timbers. And unfortunately, Mrs. O'Donnell begins to get ill as well. Yeah. So we have Mary gets better. She's, she's going to live. Spoiler alert. Right. Otherwise, this book would be real short. Two-thirds of the book left. Um, And then, yeah, Mrs. O'Donnell just quickly dies of ship ship fever. Yep, good job. Um, She seemed to give up all hope. Um, So so Mary vows to find Alice, the daughter in Boston. Who's roughly her age and has already been over there. Yeah, to tell her... You know, what happened to her parents as a way to repay their kindness. Um, I believe there's not much more until they land. Yeah, there's not a whole lot more. Mr. Corcoran has like a thing where like he's smoking his pipe and the and the sailors beat him up because he was smoking below decks. Which is a big no-no. It's a huge fire hazard. If you're on a ship like that, that's all dry canvas and and timber. Mm -hmm. No, no way. Yeah. And then two months, nearly two months later, they land in Boston. So this is a, yeah, but we've been through the whole ship, ship business. Are we stopping here? Are we wrapping up? Or do you want to talk about Mr. Quinn? Let's let's get to Lowell. Okay. Um, Summarizing, Aunt Nora is not there to meet Mary uh, when she gets they off the ship. They arrive in Boston Harbor and she's like waiting and waiting and waiting. And Aunt Norrish never shows up. And Unfortunately, Sean Patrick. I'm like, I know it's Sean. one of my cousin's names. Which one? <laughs> it's the uh, other Irish one. Oh, you'll have to be more specific. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so. Sean and his uncle, Mr. Sean Quinn. Sean and his uncle, Mr. Quinn, who owns a tavern and mm. is very enmeshed in the Irish culture in Boston. Yeah. They even have their own newspapers, yeah. which I did not know. Yes. The yeah. Irish so Mr. Paper. Quinn, again, fun- uh, functions as this great literary device of like, here, let me show you the ropes. Let me explain. I can show you this world. Yes. Boston. <laughs> so <laughs> he takes her in. freezing and smelly. Oh, we're going to have Boston mad at us. They'll never let us in. Um, he takes her in and he says, don't worry, I will post in the Irish newspaper. Um, that you're here and we'll we'll work it out because there's this already a strong Irish community in Boston. Right. Um, and so they they get settled in for the night. And I was concerned because I thought he might be a dangerous person. Ooh. And he's not. He's not. He's a very we kind person who doesn't Mr. seem to have whatever the word is when you're trying to get something over on someone. Ulterior motives. motives. I kept coming up with altruism and I'm like, no, that's the He does have altruism. Right, yeah. Um, Yeah, so, uh, yes, he takes her in, they put a notice in the newspaper. And and it works lickety split. It works really well. Um, But before she meets up with Aunt Nora, um, she goes to find Alice O'Donnell. (sighs) And this is another bummer. Yep. They find Alice um, she was, uh, She's sleeping in a basement so damp yeah. that her mattress was soggy. Yes. 
Do you know how much illness that can cause in a kid? A lot. And also we discover that Alice is blind. Mm-hmm. Perhaps she earned, profoundly. She's living in a basement. She earns her keep doing the wash for a family with a flock of children that live upstairs. Uh, she was curled asleep on the mattress when we found her, and it was damp. Uh, when Mr. Quinn woke her, she opened her eyes wide. I could see fear within. I reached for her, hoping she would take my hand. She made no move. Twasn't because of the fear the poor child could not see. Um yeah so um and she's like why didn't her parents tell me she was blind seems like a pertinent detail i wonder if this was a recent um oh that they didn't they did not know like maybe she had gotten an illness scarlet fever does cause blindness as we Um, learned from little house in the big woods this is all me making i don't know like they they don't explain yeah Um, well they haven't explained to us yet in the first half of the book mm -hmm. um i do appreciate though that Mr. Quinn mm-hmm. takes the action yeah. of sorting her out. Yeah, like, they're like, okay, she's coming with us. Right. You don't get to we're keep her anymore because this is deplorable. And he, like, remember the last book you were angry that none of the adults were acting like adults? This this is an This adult. is adulting. This is adulting. Yeah. Aunt Nora, on the other hand. I I'm have not words, mad at her yet. We're not mad. Okay. I am lightly mad at her because how long was she living in America and she was still spinning this yarn about... Oh, the streets are paved with gold. Do you think that is Denenberg trying to be like, oh, the Irish are great storytellers and they have I these lores and mythologies? That, I hope not, because mm. I just find it very irresponsible for a family member to be like, hey, you should come live with me, but I'm not going to tell you anything about what it's really like here. Right. Um, I but think if you, that's bad. Let me ask you this question. Yeah. If you knew your family was starving, uh-huh. you've been in communication with them, you know what's happening from the news, you, say, you know that hey, they are starving. Things are really terrible there, I know. Here's some money for you to come here. However, it's still hard here. It's just a little easier. Right. But if you thought How hard that, your is that to say? child niece would be afraid to leave her parents and what she knows, if she knows it's going to be hard over there too. I think Mary still would have gone. She seems like a very practical young lady. I hope so. And I think famine makes you practical. Yeah. She I, seems a to lot have grown of the ways that Irish people survived, including living in ditches and within mm-hmm. swamps, literally swamps. Yeah. Um, their resiliency is one of the things that also scared mm-hmm. the English. Yeah. How how willing they were to live without comforts in order to live. Mm-hmm. Like they're not going to take the easy road out of dying, which side note, a lot of progressive English thinkers of the mm-hmm. time looked at the suffering of the Irish people and were like, God, it would be so much better if you were all dead, right? This suffering is so terrible. You deserve the sweet mercy of death. We should mm-hmm. wipe this nation and its people out. Mm-hmm. Literally, yeah. literally, that was a proposed idea by multiple politicians and progressive thinkers. Yeah. And so much so that it was satirized by... Yes, by Sir Jonathan Swift, who wrote, who wrote about a modest proposal. Exactly. Um, One of the best examples of satire in the world. Referenced by Hosier. Really? Yeah, in yeah. the song Eat Your Young. Nice. I Yeah, I should probably do a more in-depth listen to the lyrics. It's a good I album. I just think about how pretty he is. Yeah, he's very pretty. Oh, my God. Sweet Elven Prince. Um, so, yeah, I guess I he's guess we could, what we, where oh, we can end it is that um, um, Mary's sister Kate shows up. Um, Aunt Nora sees the notice in the Irish newspaper and sends her sister Kate to pick up Mary from the tavern from where the she'd tavern been staying and in safety. We learn that Kate is uh, 
a little snooty about it. She yeah, rather is, rather opinion, rather high in her instep. Yes, um, she is a chatter, and she is. Which she works in a fancy house, and even though she's a maid, she she's a trusted servant, even that, though she's Irish. Yes. Oh, yeah. That this is the main thing with Kate is that she is very quick to distance herself from her sister Mary, yeah, as well as her whole heritage, yep. um, because she wants to be in proximity to wealth and power. Yep. Um, so she's willing to. I bet you that's fairly intoxicating if you've never had it before. Yes. Yeah. So she is willing to throw others under the bus. I think we'll end it there. Uh, We'll we'll talk about the journey to Lowell and... I'm excited to talk about the mill owners and their familial culture. Yes. Because, my goodness, that's a lot. That's going to be a whole other can of beans. And I'm excited to talk about child labor next Mm -hmm. time. It's going to be... Sorry, guys. I'm going to be angry this whole This book is going to be... This one's getting right under my skin. Listen, there's some ups and downs with this series, but this one is like, I feel like really our first introduction to... Well, okay. We did have, you know, slavery uh, in in A Picture of Freedom, but that one was also somewhat whimsical at times. Yeah. I really appreciate that book. It's still my favorite. That one is. It was so. It's the gold standard of Dear America books, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, so far. Yeah. (sighs) All right. Well, I've angered myself into being tired, even though I did have two caffeine drinks today. I know, because I knew I was going to stay up late with y'all. Yeah. Till eight o'clock. Proud of you. An hour past my bedtime. Wow. You guys all think I'm joking. Fun fact, I'm 35 and I am not joking you at all. You up at 4 a.m. I know, it's disgusting. Because you have an, you are opposite of me. Um, you are the yin to my yang. Yeah. So we got to find time sometime to record. You want to get together at 5? I'm up by 4.30. No! Wouldn't it be fun to see you at 5 a.m.? It would be the worst. How would you even get here? I would have to like attach a tow truck to your car and have you fall asleep in your car and just tow you across town. You don't want to see me awake at 5 a.m. You don't. I do. It's actually. not good. It's not good. Anyway. Anyway, this is a weird way. Everybody to sleep sweet. Dream of hosier. <laughs> Dream of hosier and, pot- and good potatoes. Yeah. And we'll see you in a fortnight. Goodbye. Au revoir. <laughs>